Hello, everybody, Hello. and welcome to another exciting episode of The Word on the Hill, starring the Lanky Guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And my name is Dr. Peter Musset. And we are here. You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I, and if you were, you would be the Reverend Dr. Peter Muscle. The Reverend Doctor, man. Yeah, don't forget there were a lot of priests in my doctoral program, so I learned that title well. Oh, man. Well, that's the best, man. Anyway, you guys, it is. Well, now, wait a second. Do we have a problem here? So we are doing the readings from Ascension Sunday, which is what is being celebrated in the Archdiocese of Denver. But, Father Peter, how universal is Ascension being celebrated on it's United States. It's the whole country. It's the whole country. So if you're in this country, you're good to go. Yep. So why does the USCCB have both options? Um, because, oh, <laughs> dude, why you got to mess with my I, brain? I'm just like curious. That. I want these people to have what they need to go into the mass with full hearts and full heads. Well, we're going to pub- publish this on Ascension Thursday. Boom. And then if if, if somehow you end up with Ascension Sunday in the midst of it, then uh, just uh, roll with it or you fly mean if with you it. end up with the seventh Sunday of Easter, seventh Sunday of Easter, dude. Is it the sixth or the seventh? Seventh, seventh, <laughs> dude. I just don't even know, man. No, you do. What what I do know, go strong, is that um, by transferring the Ascension Thursday to Ascension Sunday, tell me more, um, messes with our entire concept of what a novena is. Oh shoot! And it messes with the universality of the church. And it mess- no, it doesn't mess with it. That that's taking it, it too far. I mean, well, this is the thing: is that we know that we pray nine days for the descent of the Holy Spirit, and we pray nine days in a novena. That's where the uh, where the word nova comes from. So you're saying for between, like the science show? So you're saying between? No, oh, nice, good. I'm poll. just kidding. I like the science show. Hey, thank you're you. You're saying between Thursday and Pentecost Sunday is nine days. Exactly, and where we get a novena. Got it, got it. Got it. So if you're doing a novena to the Holy Spirit from Pentecost. Start today. Yeah. That's our message to you. And by, by that, we don't mean the day we're recording, but the day you're listening to it. They don't dude, know when I we always, record. It I could always, be Christmas Eve for they know. For dude, all they know. For they know. It's not Christmas for Eve. For they know. Hey, do you have any shout outs? No. You don't have any shout outs. Nothing you can think of. Dude, I um, when I mean, I, I have a lot of things I could think of. Uh, let's not, Mother's let's not go Mother's Day this weekend. Ascension Mother's Day Sunday. Yeah, my mom. I give a shout out to my mama. Oh, to all the moms out there in mom land. Mama. Hopefully you all get to sleep in. Dude. But not miss mass. Dear mama. Have your toenails painted. Have a cup of coffee to yourself. And get a moment. Of, I, dude, you know how many horrible breakfasts are cooked on, cooked on Mother's Day? The majority of them. The majority of them. <laughs> mom, we made you breakfast made in you bed. Breakfast. And it's like, oh, oh, poor mom. I sure hope dad cleans the kitchen after that. Oh, there's a profound, there's probably a profound humility of many mothers on Mother's Day just thinking I would just rather do this myself, but I'll let you, I'll let you do it. Dude, that's the best. Yeah, mothers. Anyway, uh, I have two shout-outs. Why, I have two and a half. I have three shout-outs. I'll just go on five shout-outs. Okay. Why not? I'm going to give a shout-out, first of all, to the Cowell family of Edwardsville, Illinois. Yeah. I saw uh, James. Do you know James and Kayla Cowell? James and yeah, Kayla sure were- I They do. were Camp Boy Tua counselors. James oh, was yeah, from yeah. England. So they live in Illinois now. Of they, course. I met the first baby who is the result of a Camp Boy relationship over the weekend. Whoa, well, John, that, dude, who's super cute. Yeah, he is a big fan. I remember actually meeting him at um, good, at a guy. focus conference, and he said I, he he was like, "I'm a little starstruck." It was actually the <laughs> first time I ever felt cool from the podcast. I I just had James. 
I love you, James, but I just have to point this out. So we were at this di- this conference together, and he came up to me. And we're friends, so it's not like he's never met me before, but he came up, and he's like, I'm sure you get this all the time, but can I get a picture of you holding my baby? Which, <laughs> I don't get that all the time. That's just what made me laugh. That's what, that's what, that's But we the... have, look, we have a lovely picture oh, of look James at that. and I and the baby. Dude, John is a cute, stinking kid. I have to say, James, you probably are one of the coolest fans that we've ever had. James, they're just a good family. And James wanted me to give a shout out to their friends Jason Dreyer and Amanda Pureth. Pureth. Pure. James didn't tell me how to pronounce it. Um, so P-I-R-I-H. Amanda, Amanda and James. Pura. Pura. Pure. Amanda and James out also in Edwardsville, Illinois. They have a great uh, little uh, uh, young young um, families community who get together and they study and they they delve into their faith together. It's just it sounds amazing. So there's amazing things happening out in Edwardsville, Illinois, which is really beautiful. So a shout out to all you guys and everybody in the community out there. Uh, you guys are the best. Um, tell your friends we're praying for you. Which, and that's all I got. Which leads us into the fact that uh, the Ascension of the Lord, or Seventh Sunday of Easter. Um, no, that we're reading Acts one, one through eleven. That's more ones than one, we one, ever one, get. one, dude. You know we. That's I, cool. I just have to tell everybody. We we've done the Ascension <laughs> Sunday a lot of times. This will be number four. Fourth time in in the course of this podcast's history. Of course, just to clarify what Father Peter said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, uh, so our second reading. Oh, uh, is from the Psalms. Surprise, surprise. And it's coming from, it's always from the Psalms. It's coming from Psalm 47, verses 2 through 3, 6 through 7, and 8 through 9. And our response itself is coming from 6. And then our third reading, also known as the second reading. Yeah. Is, um, <laughs> ironically enough, what we haven't discussed which one we're doing. Oh, there's options. Ooh. Ephesians 1, okay, we gotta 17 call it on to the 23, spot. or Hebrews 9, 24, 28, oh my. 10, 19, 23. Oh, my. I would rather talk about Hebrews, but I didn't realize it was an option. Dude, you know what? What Let's, do you want to talk about? I, well, this is the thing, is that I, I was looking at the lanky guys as I was I, drinking my coffee this morning. Okay. You were looking at, like, a picture of us? No, What, what no, do you no, mean no. by that? I was that? looking at the lanky guys in, in my mind's eye. Got it. And I was like, if I had to choose... If I was a lanky guy, what would I choose? Okay. As I was drinking my coffee. Okay. I was drinking my coffee. And uh, I had to choose. We've actually had kind of a theme that we started doing, and we just haven't had that many options lately. Right. But because this is obviously round two of year C, uh, year C um, I think as a rule, we tended to do the first option every time because oh. it was what people would most likely get. But now that we're going through again... I like leaning on the second option. So um, I say we talk about Hebrews. I Which say, just glancing at it, there's some neat stuff going on here. Dude, this is the thing is that Hebrews Hebrews has this like mystical bent that I'm all about. Okay. Let's mystic it, mystic it up. Mystic it up. Our, so yeah, so we're Our, reading from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28, verse t- and then jumping to chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Thanks. Our gospel, I read two in a row, sorry. You tell us what the gospel is. <laughs> gospel is kind of awesome. It's part of my favorite chapter. <laughs> yeah, so it is. Luke chapter 24, mm. 46 to 53, y'all. You sound like a late night DJ on a I just want to say my name music. is John DiLiberto, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Night Shades. Used to be called Night Shades. Dude, dude whoa, dude, you just out-geeked me on freaking John DiLiberto. I know, I really did. <laughs> 
Dude, <laughs> in college, I used to fall asleep to Nightshades. Acts of the Apostles. At the very beginning. We're literally at the very beginning of Acts of the Apostles. So in the first book, so so Luke, this is Luke, of course. First thing we need to know about Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles is, of course, the second volume of a two-volume set, right? Yep. So volume one is, of course... The Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> volume two the is... The Philosopher's Stone. Right. Okay, good night, everybody. Good night, Thanks everybody. for coming. <laughs> we'll be here all week. No, the first the first volume, the first book that he's referring to is... <laughs> well, what's funny is that for those who know, I inverted the two, and they're like, no, that's not the first book, father. You're so dirty. You're so you're dirty. Such, I may have known it was called Nightshades, but you're a bigger nerd. <laughs> uh, the first book of Theophilus was the Gospel of Luke, of course. Luke, which we have the end of the Gospel of Luke. Which is great because I love... So the, the end of the Gospel of Luke... Well, I guess what it's hard. It's hard to not talk about it because I always. Um, why don't we do this? Uh, Let's start with. Well, Luke. I don't. I don't really want to talk about it. I just want to say one thing about it. Okay. The Gospel of Luke ends in such a way that I think is designed to give you cabin fever and frustrate you. <laughs> I really do. I think the Gospel of Luke is designed to frustrate you a little bit because it ends in this kind of weirdly, seemingly contrived way where you're like, "Wait, is that the end?" They did him homage, and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. Well, the end. And what Jesus says is, like, okay, go back to Jerusalem and just wait there. Okay, then they do it. The end. And you're like, but, uh, what, are, what are they waiting for? Like, what, what are they doing? In all the other Gospels, you know, think of Matthew. He's like, go out to the ends of the earth and proclaim the Gospel. You're like, okay, there's closure here. Right. In Luke, you're just like, okay, go back and wait in the temple. And they do. And they were happy at the end. They're like, they're like, yeah, like, we're, we're in the temple. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. even that, you're like, well, wait, I thought Jesus was the new temple. I thought the temple was obsolete now. And you're like, why are they back in the temple? Because there's Jesus now. And they just went back to their old way of life. And you, you know what I mean? But that's where Acts of the Apostles um, is necessary because it gives the antidote for the frustration that the end of the Gospel of Luke causes. So, so let's put it this way. Okay. Think geographically for a minute. Dude, I think am, biblically bibliogeographically. Bibliogeographically, man, I'm I'm like, you know what's happening to me right now? Tell me. Dude, like I'm I'm seeing a globe <laughs> in my mind. You don't need much of a globe. And and then like people are wearing need... togas and stuff and Okay, like, that's good. That's good. Yeah, turbans. So where <laughs> <laughs> Bibliogeographically is, is right. in my mind. Okay. Where does geographically speaking the Gospel of Luke begin? You know this, although you might not remember that you know it. Uh, What's the first thing that happens in Luke? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. More specific. In the temple area. In the temple. In the temple. So, so the first thing that Luke tells you about is Zechariah. Remember the priest Zechariah? He the, was the on reason, duty. Gabriel appears to him. He's offering incense, all you, the stuff. You know why I think of that is because what is the symbol of Luke? Is an ox. Oh, it's an ox. So we, so, so you can always remember. Which is offered in the temple. Uh, yeah, offered yeah. in the temple. So that's how you can remember where it starts. Very good, Father Peter. Thanks. I learned it in the, my communion school. No, that's a very good, that's a very important. Because if you've ever seen what Father's talking about, the, the, the imagery of the four animals, well, one's a man, but the four things, you know, that represent each of the four gospels. The four beings. Yeah. Um, Luke is always represented by an yeah, ox. Absolutely. But if you don't know that Luke is all about the temple, you're going to be like, why an ox? What, what's going on? But it's because they're offered there. So Luke begins in the temple. Where does Luke end? In the temple. Remember, they're back in the temple. Where does the 
Acts of the Apostles begin? In the temple. Where does Acts of the Apostles end? In Jerusalem. Nope. The ends of the earth. It actually ends in Rome. Oh. Which is the center, the capital of the ends of the earth, right? Dude, I was I was actually I like why do you have to stump me? I didn't mean to. Well, no, I did that time. I you did, did that you time. You did. That was, you know what that was? But I was? feel like I've done this for three years in a row. So. I know. No, but this is the thing is that if you were a good tennis player, weren't you? No, I was horrible. Because that's exactly what a tennis player does. <laughs> tennis player's like, go to Try the right, to get, go yeah, to the right, right, go to the right, go to the left. And you're like, no, my backhand is terrible. I was great at mental tennis. Okay. No, so what's Luke doing, though? So he begins in the temple, he ends in the temple. He begins acts in the temple, he ends in Rome. Rome. Why? Because Jerusalem and the temple specifically was the center, the center of the world for the whole biblical story. The whole biblical story is centered on Jerusalem and on the temple. Why? Because it's God's holy city. It's where the presence of God dwelt, right? Right. It dwells in the temple, in the midst of the temple, in the holy of holies, inside the tabernacle, which makes it the center of everything. But the gospel story is one of basically methodically obliterating the role of the temple in the world. That God is no longer bound to the temple. He's not locked in the Holy of Holies anymore. And as Paul says in Romans, we all have access to God himself now. Mm. And even in the gospels, you see Jesus, who is the presence of God himself, walking out of the temple. He leaves that place. He pronounces a curse on it. The center of the world is no longer the center of the world. What's the center of the world? Rome. The world. The yeah. world. Yeah, Where yeah. is the... Pre- well, that was the well, wrong way to ask well, it. Well, this is the thing is that Rome actually becomes a staging area to go out to all the world. I mean, in the ancient world, well, I mean, the, the whole purpose of Rome, yeah. in, in historically, in relationship to Christianity, is to develop proper infrastructure to be able to actually go to the ends of the earth. Aqueducts. Aqueducts and, and such. some roads. <laughs> And arches. Well, yeah, I mean, the reason that Jerusalem is the center of the world for the Jewish people is that that's where God's presence is. Why is that no longer the center of the world? Because God's presence isn't there explicitly. God's presence is mobile. God's presence is... Well, this is the thing. This is Ascension Sunday. So God's presence is both heavenly and earthly. It's, right. it's He has ascended back to the Father so that the Spirit can descend back in Pentecost. Right. And, and it's, it's not, this is where I, I even caught myself as I was saying it. It's not just as though we're saying, well, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Let's be clear, right? God is in this room right now. He's with you in your car. He's with that jerk next to you who cut you off in traffic who's in front of you now. Right. He is present everywhere. Right. But the presence that he has inside your Honda Accord right now is different than the presence he has inside the tabernacle at your closest Catholic church. Mm. So, yes, God has always been everywhere. But God has also always chosen to have a physical, tangible Literal, substantial. Mani- substantial, thank you, manifestation of his presence, which is not everywhere, but God gives every time and place now access to it. So we have tiny little temples that we call tabernacles dotting the entire earth. There's probably, a, wherever you are right now, there's probably a Catholic church within 10 minutes of you. So, hey, okay, this is going to be my like kind of like weird zoom out moment. Okay. If you consider time and time zones, there is a mass being celebrated Mm. at any point of time around Mm. the globe right now presently. Wow. Because it's always going to be dawn, middle, afternoon, 
and then you have, I mean, we have 300 and some 360 churches in the Archdiocese of Denver who have all these different mass times at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., noon. But think five, about it. Five, seven, nine. <laughs> 735. 735. But, but what does that mean? What what we're essentially saying, so yes, that's profound and that's good, but to really wrap your head around what you just <laughs> that's said. That's the most but, profound thing no, no, that I could think about. But to feel the weight of what you actually said is what that means is that, because you again, you probably have a Catholic church near you wherever you are. There is a tabernacle with the presence of God in it. That's true. Absolutely. But what you just said was that at every time of every day in all places— the reverse of the ascension is actually taking place. God is being literally brought back down to the altar. He is being made present in a mm. new way. Yeah. In the same way that he always was. It's once for all. He's, we're not re-sacrificing Jesus in the mass, right? That's Catholic theology. But in the same sense, God is being made present anew at every hour of every day across the globe. The ascension is in a certain—I don't think I'm in the wrong by saying that, am I? That there is a certain sense of a reverse of the of the ascension that's happening. The, this, Heaven is coming down to meet earth in every Catholic church where mass is being said. It's not Jesus coming again. It's not the parousia. Yeah. It's not the second coming. But in a very real sense, heaven is coming back down at right. every hour of every day across the globe. Absolutely. Wherever you are, that's happening near you, which is— Utterly profound. Coming soon to a church near you. <laughs> I mean, so it, it, that's actually really, it, it's actually mind boggling. It really is, which is why it's appropriate. And again, it's really not about Rome. It's not the fact that the Acts of the Apostles ends in Rome. It's not about Rome. It's about the fact that Rome at this time in history represents the world. This is the world's capital city. You know, it'd be like saying the apostles now they're going to go to New York City. That's where, you know, it, think of the most important city on earth that you can think of. That, that, that's the kind of idea here. Um, so, yeah, it's not about Rome. It's about the fact that God's presence is going to be manifest in a way that will blow everybody's mind. So in the beginning of Acts now, we begin to get the road to that. And so, mm. yeah, so he says in the first book, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. But now I'm going to talk about what he continues to do and teach through his church, through his presence, through this ministry. And he says he appeared to them. Acts is great because it gives um, kind of a recap of what happened at the end of Luke in case you missed the end of Luke or it's been a long, you know, it's like the the beginning of your favorite TV show last week on Gilmore Girls, you know, whatever, Gilmore whatever you watch girl. at night when you're, going, uh, dude, going to bed. I, dude, I mean, I'm all about the Golden Girls, Gil, Gilmore <laughs> Girls. That's a little too, con, that's a little too contemporary. Oh, come on, it's got, it's got good dialogue. <laughs> anyway, uh, at least that's what my wife tells me when we watch it. Uh, now it's, now it's awkward. Okay. Oh, now it's awkward. Anyway, he's giving a recap of yes. what happened. So he's saying literally last week on Jesus and Friends. Jesus appeared to his disciples and he preached to them about the kingdom for 40 days and they went around. It's literally kind of clamping you back in the story in case, right. you, which, is, which is beautiful, but it reminds us these books really can't be taken apart from one another. They are one narrative. You, which it's not just, that's not just the neat literary thing of like, oh, you need the narrative right. of Acts to understand Luke. It's that you need the story of the gospel to understand the church, and you need the church to understand what Jesus did. Yes. It's not just you need these two books. You need these two narratives, right. or else the whole thing falls apart. 
Jesus didn't just come and die and leave and be like, good luck, everybody. He continues to work through his church, and the church doesn't make any sense unless you know the gospel. Dude, that's exactly why like my brother has always been advocating for either a miniseries or an <laughs> epic movie, an epic oh. a movie of the Acts of the Apostles, because you would see so clearly the nature of the church present. Here's why that would never work. No. Sorry, I'm sorry, no. Neil. No, no, I'm, I'm being honest about something. And Neil, with my apologies, Acts is so... It, it, there is so much miraculous. There is so much that defies the laws of nature what the, the apostles are doing. I don't see how you could make a movie that was true to the story of Acts of the Apostles and not make it sound fake. Because that's how profound what they did was. That's how unbelievable what the church actually enacted so and participated in. So it what you're would, saying is, is you would actually have to make it in two parts. You'd actually have to do Luke Acts. Right. Was that a joke? No. <laughs> I didn't get? No, I didn't it's not get, a joke. I didn't get it. I mean, because Jesus says that this is what the church began to do. Yeah. I just mean, I just mean there's no way to, to convey what the apostles did without making it seem like weird, awkward special effects. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's so intense. Yeah. How do you... You're watching it. You're like, oh, this is fake. You know, this this it just doesn't seem real. And this is the problem with I don't know. I mean, I Paul getting stoned. Well, that gets pretty real. But I think shipwrecked. The problem with Amphelia, Phrygia. (laughs) But this is the problem. I get, and maybe I'm cynical. Maybe this is you are what I'm seeing. And I, but I, but I do think the problem with the church is that we read something like the Acts of the Apostles, and we don't think that there's any way that that could actually happen in our times. Hmm. It has, it has to, by nature of just how it sounds to our ears. It's weirdo Bible times, and they did weird things, and it was, you know, it was crazy. Things just happened. There were giants roaming the earth, and people were healed, and it was, <laughs> it was weirdo olden days times. People right? were handling snakes. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It becomes so abstract and other. Right. We actually don't know how to apply it to our lives. And the problem, the, the, the book name, Praxis, is, is a Greek word for acts. Um, praxis, so Luke, <laughs> Dude, Praxis, really, the name of the book is Praxis? Yeah. Acts. The acts. So, but, but, I always thought, I thought it was the thing that you chop things down with. It was the no. acts of the apostles. But no, it's not This is that. the Praxis. Pra- but praxis de Apostolo? <laughs> yes, if you're speaking... In Spanish. Um, but Luke actually ripped off the title from a piece of propaganda that Rome had put out what? called The Acts of Caesar Augustus, which was a story. It, it's basically the, the closest equivalent we have to like historical fiction. Well, historical bibliography, historical bi- biography. So there was a work called The Acts of Caesar Augustus, which basically told you the story of Caesar Augustus, not really his upbringing or his childhood, but how he built up the great city of Rome. And the whole pedagogy of the book was to inspire you to want to be like Caesar, who was great and built this incredible city and was unstoppable. And it was meant to inspire you and make you want to be like him. Mm. The fact that Luke rips off that title Mm. tells you that he wants to not inspire you with Caesar Augustus in the great city of Rome, he wants to inspire you with the church and the building up of the city of God in a way that's actually accessible, that you can be like this. So the to read it outside of that context and outside of that practical application is to miss Luke's whole point, I think. Wow. Yeah. We haven't talked about the Ascension yet. <laughs> Ironically Dude, enough. Well, I, I have one question. Okay. At what rate... <laughs> Did Jesus ascend? It wouldn't be ascension 
Thursday <laughs> slash Sunday if we didn't ask that question. I mean, this is it, man. I was into rocketry, and I still have the questions. Like, dude, he had some serious Newtons under him. <laughs> yeah. He, it, <laughs> yeah. It probably would have gone pretty fast up to heaven <laughs> to, to answer your Scott, perennial question. My perennial question. No, I don't know, man. I, I really, like, I go back and forth every year. I just love the image that there they are. They they just, Jesus had told them, hey, hang tight. I'm going to empower you guys. It's going to be right. cool. You're going to go out to the ends of the earth. Here's what's going to happen. And then he's like, see ya. And he, sh- he shoots up to heaven. <laughs> By the way, there, there's echoes in the words that Acts uses. There's echoes of two things. Um, it's it's uh, the word for the ascent actually adumbrates um, the ideas of both what Luke said in chapter 9, verse 51 of the Exodus. Remember at the transfiguration when he's speaking with Moses and Elijah about what's going to happen? He says they spoke about his Exodus, Exodus. but there's, there's echoes of this as well. They're they, speaking they, about his being raised his, up. His, his, his adumbre. <laughs> right. And there's also echoes of Elijah, right, who ascended into heaven. It's the last person that did something like this in the scriptures. Right. So, Which, of course, that's who he's talking to at the uh, Transfiguration. So th- there's all sorts of imagery that's probably running around in the apostles' minds. They might be thinking about the Transfiguration. They might be thinking about Elijah. And they're like, whoa. And then they turn around, and there's these two angels. And they're like, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> Yeah. Those are the guys. That that's the funniest thing about the story to me is these guys are like, "What are you looking for? <laughs> what are you What are you looking up in the sky?" And they're like, "Well, but we saw. We just he went up. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Just some randos." And they, of course, say, "Why are you standing standing here looking up into the sky? <laughs> this Jesus who was taken up to heaven, he will return in the same way that you saw him go up." At what rate does Jesus descend back down. in his second coming? Well, but I do think, on a serious note, I think there's two things there. So there is a reference Dude, to it, his second coming. Come on, man, we got lightning. What? Like lightning? Like lightning? That's pretty fast. It's really fast, really fast. Crack. But there is a reference there to his second coming. He is going to come again in that same kind of way. But I wonder if there really is also a reference here to the mass. That in the mm. same way you saw him coming up, he's going to be brought down. Heaven will come down mm. every time that you individual, you apostles who are witnessing this actually say the mass. I just wonder if there's more to that. It's not because, it, you know, we've waited 2,000 years by now for the second coming. It hasn't happened yet. It will. And that's good. But there actually is more to God's presence, Jesus' true presence on earth. Because we do still have access to it. It's not that he has ascended into heaven and that's that. We still have access to his real presence. We can't see him in his fullness, but they do bring heaven down to earth every time they say mass. So do you. Well, I mean, so I wonder if there's something to that. I mean, yeah, there is. I mean, this is the crazy part is why the ascension? Why does he ascend back to the Father? Is his whole goal is to reintroduce, hum- or not reintroduce, but introduce humanity into to the rocketry. Dim- Rocketry. <laughs> is that what it feels like to be you? <laughs> yeah. Where you like yeah. are building to this huge point yeah. and then you totally suck it into something mundane. Yeah, how does that feel? Yeah, it's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> but like he introduces our humanity into the divine Godhead. Right. And that, that, that actually is this, and that's actually what's playing out in all of the masses, like what you're saying, yeah. is, that, is that we're actually participating in the Trinitarian life in these real, in this real moment where yeah. it's actually father son and spirit it's like uh i don't know the reading one of the readings this week was from john 15 you know the father and i what the father has is mine and mine is the father's and we're one and this is for real 
And so our humanity in this moment of ascension is introduced here. Yes, absolutely. Which is actually a really good, what? Dude, I know that yes, absolutely. I've ever heard one. No, you don't. It's a good segue into the psalm. (laughs) It is. Have we even talked? We've talked about everything and nothing at the same time. We've talked about everything. Do you have a picture of? Do you have a sketch of pigs on your bookshelf? I sure do. Okay, sorry. We got it. We got to stick to the to the. It's the end of the school year here in Boulder, you guys. Just to 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 give a disclaimer, we're all a little loopy here. It's been a long year. Students are flying out. It's nice weather for the first time. We got spring fever. So sorry, cats we're and trying dogs living together. Cats and dogs. We're trying to stick to the to the podcast as best we can. It's a great segue into the psalm, though. Psalm forty-seven. <laughs> there is no segue into the no, there psalm. Is. Let's be honest. God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, Woo-hoo! a blare of trumpets for the Lord. <laughs> Here's one of the things I take from Psalm forty-seven, though. Um, the uh, there's so many prophecies that we have about God coming to set things right with His people. The Messiah will come. Um, God's going to shepherd his people, you know, a virgin will give birth. I mean, there's so, it's such a tapestry of prophecies. If you're living in the time of the apostles, it's unclear exactly how those things are going to play themselves dude, out. Dude, I want to name a, I want to name an <laughs> album, Tapestry of Prophecy, dude. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Uh, after this though. Um, so they're, they're trying to figure, you know, it was unclear to people that, okay, yes, there's a Messiah coming. Yes, there's going to be a king. Yes, God's going to fix things. Oh, wait, he's going to come himself and do it and actually become incarnate in a way that's never happened in human history. I mean, th- this is unclear, but you're like, okay, you're living in the midst of this. God is setting things right. He's actually come among us. And then you go back to something like Psalm 47. Here's the thing. And I just, I will confess this, not sacramentally, but just... The the How ascension. I hate to say this. Confession. It's been a year since that we did this podcast last. Okay. But I hate to say this, but oh, I'm hesitant. But this will take my holiness down three notches. <laughs> Sometimes the ascension just feels like an afterthought to me, because you're well, like you're going through Easter for six weeks, and you're like, oh right, resurrection. The ascension, like the resurrection is such a big deal, and I sometimes just forget about the ascension coming. Dude, I think most people, honestly, I think that that's the experience of, of most people. It is. That, but- that, that we don't realize that the completion of the Paschal ministry, mystery is bound into this moment of Trinitarian introduction. So what's so beautiful to me about this psalm is knowing this psalm was written long before any of this actually happened, long before any of us have had time to forget about the ascension. <laughs> It shows us that the Ascension is not an afterthought, written into the tapestry of the scriptures, into the Psalms, back in the time of David or whenever it is, God's plan was for it to go this way, for the Ascension to happen. Mm. It's never been an afterthought. Mm. It's always a part of the Paschal plan. Mm. It is. It has been the completion of the Easter story since before humanity was formed, before the cosmos existed, and the Psalms attest to that. Yeah. Written so far back, you're like, oh... God always planned this. This was always, it. not only did God always plan it, it's written in the scriptures. I should have seen it before now. Yeah. And I, there, there's, I don't have much more to say except that, but there's a beautiful thought to that, that woven into the Old Testament, there is an understanding that, yes, God has always intended to do it this way. And we can look back and say, oh, I see it now. I might not have seen it the first time. I might not have realized what I was witnessing when it was taking place, but now I can look back and say, Oh, I mean, there's something so beautiful in the faith about the idea of hindsight, because it's in hindsight when we can step out of ourselves and look back and say, oh, that we can really see how God is at work. 
in a very mm. profound way. So this psalm for me is a good experience of hindsight of, oh, yeah, you did always have this in mind, even if I forgot what this week's podcast was actually about. Yeah. That that's okay. And I always like the way they sing it. God mounts his thrones to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. I really like the way, uh, every time they sing it in different ways, and it's yeah, so true. Absolutely. Which leads us actually directly into the yes. sanctuary not made by hands in Hebrews. Yeah, because that's where Christ is ascending to. Right. As he goes with shouts of joy and trumpet blasts and such, he gets to what we see in the in Hebrews. 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 Quick, tiny word on Hebrews. Hebrews is, it's not properly a letter. Uh, it's not properly a, an epistle, so to speak. What what Hebrews calls it, we don't know exactly who the author is. No. Some people think Paul. I, I actually think, think it was Timothy. You think it's Timothy? I do. I don't think it was Paul. I used to think it was Paul, and I've become utterly convinced it's not Paul. Paul utterly. Do you like, think it's like, Paul? Like cows? Yes. Do you think it's Paul? I mean, I always thought it was Paul because you told me. Can I tell you? Oh, Really? Shoot. Maybe you just misunderstood me. Here's why I don't think it's Paul. Okay, talk to me. Paul understands his ministry clearly to be to whom? The Gentiles. Who is this to? The Hebrews. The Hebrews. But but this is his it's one Paul's opportunity. Theology. He doesn't see that as his mission, though. He yeah. makes it very clear that's not his job. It's not his ministry. Dude, I mean, I... He seems to feel very strongly about it. I know, but what if it you could had be one Paul. opportunity? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just it like be. Slim Shady or whatever, dude. It could be Paul. I don't... <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. It could be Paul. I'm not going to live yeah. or die on this hill. Yeah. It's Pauline theology for sure. But it's fun to think about it being it's Timothy because the dude doesn't do anything. <laughs> He's a bishop of Ephesus. I mean, whatever, dude. Like you did anything. Pastor of St. Thomas Aquinas doesn't do anything. <laughs> anyway. I know he wrote a couple other letters too. He did. Uh, did they have similar no, no, he didn't write structure? Any, no, they wrote, they were written to him. Oh. First and second Timothy were from Paul to him. Oh. Just saying. I'm just saying. The I'm Romans saying. didn't write the letter to the Romans. Did you? Oh, oh, oh shoot, dude! That's did I getting, just? You just no, burned me, dude. I didn't mean you to. You just burned me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna eat the last truffle just because of that. Oh, you took it already. I didn't take no oh, truffle. Um, okay, so here's what's happening in Hebrews. It calls itself a word of exhortation. <laughs> so, you imagine that what we know is happening in Palestine around Jerusalem. About this time, everyone's preparing to go to war with Rome, right? Because Rome is the enemy. Rome is the fourth beast of Daniel. Rome is the one to whom God said, you know, he's going to overthrow. Everyone is ready to take down God's oppressors or the people of God's oppressors. Jesus consistently through the gospel said to forgive your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to when you see wars and rumors of wars, literally to run for the hills. And he said stuff like that, right? So imagine that you're a Jew living around Jerusalem in this time as everybody in your in your country, your neighbors, your friends, your parents, your children, your coworkers, everyone's ready to go to war against Rome. And you're a Christian, so you actually know, according to what Jesus said and what the apostles are preaching, that you can't fight this war. That you're not permitted to do that. So (laughs) I can remember when I started fighting for um, now I can't get the song out of my head. Father Peter, I had such a good point. You did. Anyway. It was, re- it was really good. Oh, so uh, can you, I'm just imagine the pressure. And so it's it's hard to be a Catholic in today's day and age Under in our culture. Pressure. It's hard to do those things. Imagine if everybody around you was saying, well, look, if you don't do what we're all doing, you're a traitor and you're a coward and you're unfaithful to your lineage and your heritage and your own people. 
because to fight for Jerusalem against Rome was to fight for God and to fight for your faith. Yeah. So you're a Jew and you're in Jerusalem and you're not permitted to do that. Not only that, I mean, imagine being a Jewish person in the first century trying to figure this stuff out. You're like, okay, wait, the apostle said that Jesus is my high priest, but but wait, he ascended, so he's not really here anymore, but he's kind of here in the bread, but... He's still a high priest. And you're just like, what? I'm I mean, it's confusing enough. my religion. It's confusing enough 2,000 years yeah. of hindsight. Imagine you're the first ones that have to figure this out. And you're like, okay, you guys are calling Jesus the high priest, but in some weird way. Okay, there's Caiaphas. I understand right. that he is the high priest. And you're saying that this meal is like a new Passover kind of a thing. But yeah. here's the actual Passover, and I get that. And, you know, he's a new temple, but there's an actual. You know what I mean? You can see how tempting it would be to maybe just throw in the towel and say, you know what? I'm just going back. I don't understand. It's too abstract. Yeah. It's too confusing. There's too much pressure. I'm going back to my old faith. Too much pressure. So this is a word of exhortation written basically to juxtapose the Old Testament faith of Israel with the New Testament faith of Christianity and show, look, if you saw these things side by side in truth, you would never go back because if you realized how much greater Jesus's priesthood is than Caiaphas and how much greater his sacrifice was than the cows and the bulls and the goats that you see sacrificed, how much greater the priesthood is than the Levitical priesthood, how much greater his temple is than the old temple, there's no going back. So it's setting out to juxtapose these things. But then you get to this very strange passage in chapter 9, which is right around the climax of the book. And it said Christ didn't enter into a sanctuary made by hands. It's in this part of the book that's arguing for the priesthood of Jesus being superior to any priesthood you've ever seen before. And he's saying, okay, you've seen other priests go into the sanctuary. You've seen them sacrifice these animals and all this stuff. Christ didn't enter into a sanctuary made by hands a copy of the one, but a heavenly one itself. Which implies the fact that people are already contemplating this, like that the sanctuary is meant to image the heavenly reality. Well, think about this. Back in Exodus, remember when Moses was given the blueprint, the instructions for building the tabernacle? Yeah. How was he given that? Do you remember? It's fascinating. Um, Oh, gosh, Bob Marley was playing. <laughs> Movement of people. Oh, yeah, they were saying that to, to imitate oh, the, the, the heavenly sanctuary. Well, not exactly, but he, God basically said, Give okay. Give him a, a vision of worship in heaven. Well, yeah, he said, here's this tabernacle. I want you to build one that looks like it, which tells you he's showing him a vision of something that exists in heaven. The tabernacle on earth was a model of that, which already suggests that Everything that they thought was the center of the world, remember, the Jewish people thought the temple was the center of everything. Their center of the world was simply a a model, a blueprint, a a crude rendering of something far greater than itself. Which which is a really good indicator, if your name is Tabby, (laughs) that you're really a very heavenly person. My gosh, you are really (laughs) on fire with this today. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um. I, I had something profound to say, and I lost it. No, it was it. an image of the heavenly reality. It was it was a foreshadowing. Tabby. Of, <laughs> come on, dude. Come on, Tabby. I had to throw down Tabby, dude. I don't get it. Have you never known a girl named Tabby? No, have you? Yes, I've known a Tabby before, and she was a very beautiful Tabitha? woman. Tabitha? I knew a Tabitha, yeah, but yeah, she Tabby. went by Tabitha. Yeah, I mean, that's because she, she wanted the full expression she of, was her, a hippie. of her hippiness. Yeah. What were um, we going to say? Uh-huh. Dude, I actually threw you off for once in your whole for life. Once, um, yes. So, oh, oh, well, I was just thinking about the mass. So every time you say mass, so it's in Eucharistic prayer number one. 
um, you actually say at some point, and every priest does say, Father, take this sacrifice. When you have the bread and wine, you say, yep. take this sacrifice to your holy to, altar in heaven. in heaven, implying that there's another one. Right. That need, there's a whole uh, yes. other reality here. So that we may participate. Right. Yeah. So, you know, again, when we're in Mass, you know, talking about Jesus and his presence being represented, Jesus ascends into heaven. The apostles are like, what the heck just happened? He's going home. He's going to a more true reality than we have ever seen before. It's right. not that he's going to this weird kind of invisible abstract place. He's going to reality. Right. And every time we say Mass, we get to participate with him in that true reality. Right. Take this sacrifice to your your real altar in heaven that this one is a representation of. That you, you look with favor upon, right? But we want to participate in that, in the real thing, which is why... When we go to Mass, when you say the Mass, Mass is not about you, and it's not about Bishop Aquilin. It's not about the Pope. It's about you guys participating in something far greater than yourself. A common priesthood. Which is what the whole argument of Hebrews is, that every priest that you've ever met is a priest in their own right, because they're a Levite and they have this lineage and everything else, which is fine. But Father Peter Mustard is a priest because he's united with the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Pope Francis is only a priest because he's united with the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. You have nothing in and of yourselves, but with Jesus you have everything. Right. That's reality, and that's only possible because he is ascended as high priest to his altar on high. Right. And because he's up there, because we saw him with our eyes, or at least the apostles did, you can then enter into that you can go up so that he can come down yes. in a certain sense. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Totally it does. And that's what Hebrews is trying to show us in a way of saying, look, realize what you have. Don't turn your back. Don't give in, which is just as important for us today as it was back then. I mean, don't give in to the culture. Don't give in to compromise. Don't give in to the people who say your, your faith is just this weird patriarchal behind the times, you know, silly, silly th- ritual that you guys do. Read the second reading this week and say, oh, wow, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I can't compromise that. I can't go back. I want that every day if possible. That's what it's meant to do, which is a better way to evangelize than the way that we tend to evangelize. Um, we don't tend to give the grand, beautiful vision of reality. Right. We tend to give all the, the laundry list of the things that we're not supposed to do, but not really the why. Like me, be- like me cutting you off in the middle of your thoughts. You're not supposed to do that, but I haven't beautifully explained why yet. <laughs> which takes us now. to Luke. Yes. You just, <laughs> just did, actually. Just like that. Which takes us back to Luke, which Luke. really is where we started this week, right? The, the, uh, the, the cabin fever of Luke. Cabin fever. It does. It gives me cabin fever. Why? Because he tells them, go lock yourself up in the temple. Oh. And if they really understood, which they don't quite yet, they will at Pentecost... But if they really understood, they should be saying, wait a second, why? The temple is obsolete. The temple doesn't do anything anymore. The presence of God is literally not in there now. Jesus actually pronounced a curse and then took off. He left. So if you're the apostles, if you really see reality, if you're reading Luke, you should be like, wait, why? Why are they going back there? Well, because they're waiting. Well, it says, you are witnesses of these things. That's actually the whole reason. Jesus says, I actually need you to witness to this. And you're going to, you know, where the vultures are, there the body is. Mm, that's an ugly image. <laughs> I just, but I don't know. Well, it's true. I mean, like, he's just saying, wherever the people are, you've got to, yes. you've actually got to be present because. Yeah, but we know the story and we know that's not what they did. 
They go back. They go out of the temple for a while, and then they lock the door and they hide in their room because it was a, it was too intense. Right. The, the but they'll got get turned it. up. They'll get it though. That's they'll why eventually. we do a novena. But that's kind of why I feel the cabin fever is that they actually can't do what they need to do until Pentecost. Dude, until did. then, Jesus is like, okay, just go hang out over there for a while because you're just not ready yet. Doesn't that feel a little bit go like to the children's age mass. that we're in right now? Yes. Where, no? Like, maybe? Th- there's so much present in the church of us being afraid of the world. Oh, yeah. Of not actually wanting to say, like, dude, I'm, like, unabashedly Catholic because we are interfacing with the world in a way that is really painful right now. Like, people, people are, like... I feel ashamed to be Catholic because yeah. they're like, oh, I'm a hater, Yeah, which, which is what the world has branded them as. And, yeah. and they're like, gosh, I'm opposing everything that everything's doing. And then like, hold on, there's all these cultural advances. Am I just really a bad person to hold on yeah. to uh, the, the, this, particularly the sexual morality that we express as, as a Catholic church? But I'll tell you, we're about to experience a descent of the Holy Spirit like nothing you we have seen and since the Acts of the Apostles. That's why that movie, we're going to make that movie because it's going to make the most sense of what's about to take place. Things are going to get cray up in here, man. I hope so, because we need something to happen. We do. We need Christ to break into that upper room again, like you said, and yep. say, okay, now it's time to go. And it's, it's, it is kind of beautiful in the sense that, at least for the Apostles— He's like, okay, you're really not ready. So go and go back to Jerusalem. Go back and worship. Do what's right. And it's okay. You're going to hide in your upper room for a while. That's fine because I'm coming and I'm going to empower you. Well, this and is the so thing when, is, is that I'm speaking in a universal way because no. I actually look at the ministry we do here and that's not my experience. I see the Holy Spirit actually putting the wind into people's sails. I look at it in relationship with real ministries that are taking place that are universal in awesome, holy ways. But it's heartening in the sense that you know, none of us are doing what we ought to be doing. None of us are doing, few of us, nobody I know, I'm not, doing what God really would. What, what is that line? It was Mother Angelic. Oh, we talked about this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. She said her worst fear is not, you know, having to stand before her sins. Her worst fear is standing before God and having him say, this is what you could have done if you trusted me more. Right. But But the realization of these readings of that, Christ isn't going to come and shove that in our face. He's going to come with patience and be like, okay, now let's open the door. Now let's move. <laughs> let's go now. It's, it's fine. You've been hiding in your room. And there's all sorts of ways in which we all hide in our room, even, even in the midst of a profound ministry. But that we don't have a God who's just waiting to accuse us or waiting to say, what a bonehead you've been. Why haven't you gotten to work? But who's coming with an outstretched hand to say, okay, now let's go and get to work, which is, yep. which is really comforting to me that's the story of where we are we're right in between the ascension and pentecost we're in that place again ecclesially um where christ we do have the holy spirit we are empowered christ is coming again things will be seen in their fullness eventually but we can't see them yet yeah but there will come a day when we see the world for what it is we see the universe, the cosmos, the mass, the priesthood, our holiness for what it is. No longer dimly as in a mirror, but face to face for real. Mm. Well, hope you guys have a good mirror that you can look in. And remind yourself to listen to the podcast again next week, because we'll be back with a brand new episode. That was a strain. That was a stretch. Anyway, we'll be back next week. You guys are the best. Yeah. You're the best, Father Peter. Yeah, dude. And we're going to be on fire next week. Boom. So long. (laughs) I love you guys. Bye.
The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.